Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental or emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he's gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as he or she personally chooses, while accepting full responsibility for his or her own individual thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and actions. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares. And by listening to this program, you're acknowledging that you, and only you, are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and actions. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome to The Last Symptom. I'm Brian Barnett, the creator and host of The Last Symptom. Thank you for joining me this week. Hope all you folks down there in New Orleans are doing all right. From what I understand, tornado ripped through there the other day. Was that yesterday for me? And uh, I think uh, I got that weather here where I'm at today. Had some tornado watches in effect and that sort of thing. Anyway, I haven't really read the news to see what the damage was done down there in New Orleans, but uh, I hope that uh, my audience, anybody who is down in that area, is taking care of themselves and staying safe. Nightcrawler hunting. You know what that is? You know what a nightcrawler is? A nightcrawler is a big earthworm. You know, a typical earthworm is kind of small, and a nightcrawler is really big. And the reason why they call them nightcrawlers is because they come out of the earth at night, and they'll lay on the ground and mate. And then if you go out side with a flashlight and you spot them oh they're they're very sensitive they can feel the uh the vibrations in the ground and they go right back into the ground and disappear so to catch them you got to be pretty quick and stealthy that's what i've been doing lately nightcrawler hunting my daughter is just crazy about this she's fascinated by it and has been begging me to take her out nightcrawler hunting we did it last year and she remembered it. It popped up into her memory out of nowhere. And she said, Daddy, you got to take me out there, hunt for those worms. And I said, Well, all right, let's do it. And, uh, you know, it's something I've been doing since I was a kid, but it never ceases to, to fascinate me. The first time I did it was at my grandpa's house, my grandpa on my mom's side of the family. And interestingly enough, this is not something that I that I ever saw happen in the growing up in the country. You know, I grew up real far out in the country and uh, going out in the, and looking for night crawlers in the country, never saw them. This is something I think that happens in towns. And, uh, you know, now that I'm telling you about this, I, I do have a working theory about why that is. It's the vibrations in the earth, I think. If you take, for example, a battery and you wrap it around a nail like a nine volt battery and you wrap that around a nail and you you stick that nail into the ground it'll bring night crawlers up to the surface it'll bring worms up to the surface so i think there's something about the the activity going on in a tightly packed town you know where there's lots of people living and stuff and the electricity flowing into homes and something about that that makes it so that night crawler hunting is best done in towns. So I'll tell you another thing like that is uh, squirrel hunting. I remember every time I'd go up to see Jordan, my late buddy Jordan, in Toledo, Ohio, he had squirrels running all over his backyard. And that's something I've noticed about towns, you know, when I lived in the suburbs in Philadelphia. Oh, tons of squirrels. But if you're out in the proper woods, you don't come across squirrels like that. You, you, you see one here and there you really have to hunt them down but in towns they're just everywhere and again i think that's got something to do with towns being densely populated and resources and things to attract squirrels but anyway getting off topic here my daughter's been wanting to do this nightcrawler hunting thing and so uh, i've been doing that with her and it's recalled to me when i first did that it wasn't living out in the country 
it was one night when I spent the night at my grandpa's house and my cousins were spending the night there too and we had all decided to go fishing the next day and so they said let's go out and get some night crawlers and we went out with uh, flashlights I must have been 10 years old and I was uh, amazed just looking out at the yard and seeing all these worms stuck up out of the ground laying on the ground they can sense your footsteps they can sense the light from the flashlight you really have to get one who's kind of lazy and not paying attention to be able to get him and pull him out of the ground but just a fascinating thing that's uh been real nice to pass on to my daughter you know making memories like that i know it's something that she's just going to be recalling for the rest of her life what she did with daddy and then after we got done hunting the night crawlers she says daddy what's uh what's your favorite movie that got us talking about movies we didn't end up watching my favorite movie my favorite movie of all time is uh, a river runs through it directed by oh what's his face uh, robert redford starring a real young brad pitt but we got to talking about another movie that i really enjoyed and that's called frequency that come out i think in 1999 or the year 2000 with Dennis Quaid and it's got a time travel element like a ham radio time travel element to it and I started telling her kind of the synopsis of the movie about how this firefighter's got this sun the sun grows up one night during a particularly strong aurora borealis that is the northern lights he gets on the ham radio and ends up talking to his dad 30 years in the past boy I could see her imagination go just going crazy with that she said let's let's watch that movie so we started it we got about an hour into it and uh, she fell asleep so we're going to finish watching that next time i get a chance well i hope you all are doing fine hope you all are happy out there and staying safe like i said got some good things to talk at you about today we'll tell you about something called the gel man effect but that's not what i call it i've always called it the blind faith amnesia effect but i'm going to tell you what that's what that's all about also if you're hearing this episode of the show right around its publication time i've got a watch party happening this weekend on saturday and you're invited we'll talk about that as i promised last week i'm going to share my list of most important words to ruminate over in order to have the upper hand in life well, let's get into her. But before I do, I want to say one more thing about the night crawlers. This is something I kept telling my daughter. I kept saying, you know, she wants to catch them and pull them out of the ground. I said, why don't you? Why did you just grab them and do that? Because she's gotten on top of a couple of them. She says, oh, they're slimy. I don't like it. They're gross. They're kind of scary. I said, what? Just two years ago, you were handling them with no problem whatsoever. You could have cared less. She says, uh, yeah, well, that's that time's come and gone. <laughs> that's basically what she said. She said, I'm not like that no more. So I said, well, you know, what we can do is we can just run over to Walmart or even the gas station, the local gas station sells night crawlers for nothing, a couple dollars. So we can do that, and then we don't have to do any of the work. She says, well, I still would like to catch some, but I want to do that too. So besides hunting night crawlers, uh, I'm... I've uh, obligated myself to go to the local gas station or the local Walmart and pick up some of these night crawlers for her. And, I'm going to, and it's going to be interesting letting her play with these night crawlers. The gel man amnesia effect. Now, this is by Michael Crichton. And this phenomenon that I'm about to tell you is a phenomenon, like I said, that I, in in conversations with myself, had named the blind faith amnesia effect. Didn't know anybody else had given it a name. Didn't know anybody else had ever talked about it. But Michael Crichton, the author, apparently had. And I come across it in this article the other day, and I said, that's exactly the blind faith amnesia effect that I'm always noticing in people and noticing in, even in myself. But it's this phenomenon, it's this psychological logical fallacy uh, that human beings commit that I'm very aware of I just didn't know that somebody else had named it but you can call it I think my name's better 
to be honest with you, but I'm biased. Michael Crichton calls it the gel man amnesia effect. That's G-E-L-L dash M-A-N-N. So I, I reckon it's named after somebody. Gel man amnesia effect. Again, I call it the blind faith amnesia effect. But it goes as follows. You open the newspaper to an article on some subject that you know real well. So let's say that you're a bricklayer, or let's say you're a scientist, or you, let's say that you're a, an entertainer, a musician, a cartoonist, whatever it is. You are an expert in something, and you open up the newspaper, or let's say you turn on the nightly news. It can be either one. You begin reading an article on a subject that you are an expert in. So let's take music, just pulling one out of a hat. Let's take music. You start watching the nightly news and they begin talking about music or you begin reading an article in the newspaper and they start talking about music. You read the article or you watch the program on the news and you realize that this journalist has absolutely no understanding whatsoever of either the facts or the issues. I mean, because you're the expert, as you're reading it, you go, this guy or this girl, this journalist, did no research. This journalist doesn't know what he or she is talking about. Again, it could be on the nightly news too. If you're a bricklayer, they start talking about some brick project or something, and you're watching it and you're going, this guy has no idea what he's talking about. Happens every day to everybody in whatever expertise you you're in you see that the journalist has absolutely no understanding of either the facts or the issues and by the way i'm reading this this is i'm paraphrasing mostly michael Crichton here uh by the way he's the author who wrote jurassic park if you're wondering which author i'm talking about you read the article and you see that the journalist has absolutely no understanding of either the facts or the issues often the article is so wrong it actually presents the story backwards reversing cause and effect (laughs) Michael Crichton has a real good name for this Michael Crichton called these wet streets cause rain stories this is the stories that get cause and effect in the wrong order Wet streets cause rain stories. Isn't that kind of genius? <laughs> uh, reminds me of some of the names that I have for some of the things that we talk about here. In any case, Michael Crichton says, you read with exasperation or amusement the multiple errors in a story or in a news story on the TV, and then you turn the page to national or international affairs, and you read the rest of the newspaper as if it was somehow more accurate about Palestine than the baloney you just got done reading. In other words, you turn the page and you forget what you know. And he calls that the gel man amnesia effect. Again, I call it the blind faith amnesia effect. You see what's happening? You're granting the media this imaginary authority that what they say has merit you trust them you're you're giving them your blind faith that they know what they're talking about but even when they prove themselves disastrously uh, that they don't know anything that they're talking about in one subject that you happen to know expertly but then you turn the page and go on to a different subject or on the nightly news they stop talking about that subject and they go on to the next piece you forget that they just totally revealed how ignorant they are and you go right back to believing that they are trustworthy for example like you know let's say that they're talking about the brickland and now they go on to talking about the economy you go okay well the the news knows what they're talking about about the economy you forget that they just they just proved to you that they don't know anything they're about as trustworthy as a, a tick on a dog's butt. But you, you just totally forget that, and you go right back to trusting them again. 
same way with the newspaper and uh, this blind faith amnesia effect I see it all the time in my own work how many times have I proved to you unquestionably that they don't know that the professional community as a group is totally incompetent when it comes to emotional disorders and borderline personality disorder authentic recovery that you know they don't even know that it's inherited not genetic they don't even know that it's an emotional disorder not a mental illness or a mental health issue they put they place no importance on those things they keep people enslaved to their emotional disorders to borderline personality disorder to narcissistic personality disorder and even after this has been proven absolutely undisputably true the person will come back and say to me well they diagnosed me with this other thing giving them credit as being credible for some other thing unrelated to emotional disorder supposedly and just throwing their blind faith totally into it 100% well they said it so it's got to be so you know I, I think about uh, you know the psychological professional community when they talk about not to get into too uh, sticky a subject here but uh, do you remember about 10 years back maybe 20 years back there was this whole big uh, dispute about whether uh, homosexuality if a person is born that way or not well what did the professional community the psychological professional community conclude well I won't tell you it doesn't matter the point is no matter what they concluded they've proven completely incompetent in other areas so why would we take them at their word at something like that you see what I was saying that's the blind faith amnesia effect you forget that they have totally discredited themselves on this subject and you go right back to blindly giving them your faith and trust and confidence on an entirely different topic and what I'm saying is that they're just incompetent period <laughs> across the board don't fi don't find yourself a victim to the blind faith amnesia effect or the gel man uh, amnesia effect that uh, Michael Crichton talks about got some announcements so let's get into those announcements they're not long bear with me here and uh, I know you hear it all the time but I, I try to mix it up a little bit and there's some there's a uh, there's something I got oh I want to tell you about this uh, watch party I've got coming up but first let me tell you about the lastsymptom.com free and paid services over there that's my website full of uh, resources lots of free stuff go over there and take advantage of it the paid resources are one-on-one -on -one phone calls with me and one-on-one -on -one zoom video calls with me and of course most importantly the two-week intensive the last symptom fundamentals course what is all that all about it's an intensive two-week course that is pre-recorded just like you folks who are watching this episode of the show on either rumble or youtube uh, the presentation is a lot like this but instead of me just talking i, I use a lot of visuals so it's kind of like a powerpoint presentation type visual presentation that goes on i say two weeks it's more like 10 days but most people who end up taking the course go beyond two weeks because it's three hours a day the way i've got it divided up is three hours a day for something like 10 10 days so once a person actually gets in there according to their schedule and their enthusiasm and their rate of learning um it can easily stretch two weeks three weeks but uh so it's an intensive course and it's designed to provide you with all of the fundamental insights that are necessary for you to authentically escape emotional disorder that includes borderline personality disorder which was the specific emotional disorder that I myself had to authentically rid myself of the last symptom online community we would love to have you join us that's the last symptom dot locals Dot com. Another way to do it is to download the Locals.com app from the App Store and just search for The Last Symptom by Brian Barnett. Now that brings me to the watch party I have planned for this Saturday. 
the other day I come across a video on YouTube that I really enjoyed about Appalachia and about Appalachian speech and culture of course I really enjoyed it because I'm Appalachian but more importantly I thought it'd be a lot of fun to get to watch this with my last symptom community as an enjoyable laid-back but still informative shared experience so for example in part of the documentary there are various Appalachian folk talking about how when they went out into the broader world such as when they joined the military or they went to work far away because of negative stereotypes about Appalachians they got all self-conscious of their speech and of their culture and their heritage and they they started trying to hide it until they had to go through this process of eventually finding peace with being true to who they are to their heritage their culture our way of talking you know and that was something that definitely happened to me i've told you that i i left home i went to the big city the first place i went to is i went north and i lived in columbus ohio for a while and then from there i went to philly and then from philly i went to the boston area but as soon as i got up to columbus i started trying to hide my way of talking people would call me out on some of the words i'd use i started trying to adapt to using different words when i got to philly and i was working in a professional environment as a medical interpreter in the, in the hospital definitely i felt the pressure for that and then again in uh, new england actually there's a lot of prejudice in new england against anybody who talks like me for my livelihood my professional livelihood i found it necessary in new england to try to hide in most cases in most professional settings to hide uh, my way of talking at all costs because uh, pe people are looking for a reason a lot of people i'm not saying everybody in new england but there are a lot of people up there looking for a reason let's say to have their suspicions and their stereotypes confirmed so they're just waiting for that and so a person like me has to be careful up there the way i talk and that sort of thing so it definitely happened to me and then i had to go through this process of through during my recovery especially because remember before when i had an emotional disorder it was all about living for other people pleasing other people uh, love me love me love me please i had to go from that to loving myself and being accepting and embracing and uh, actually celebrating uh, things about me that before i would have tried to hide so it was interesting in this documentary that i to hear these other fellow Appalachians talk about the same thing that I experienced. I've never seen another documentary where where I got to hear other Appalachians talking about that same experience that I experienced. Another thing I could absolutely identify with was uh, one Appalachian lady saying how she never realized that she was poor until the government come along and told her that she was poor. And I think I've mentioned in the past about how much I hate the media when they do stories about Appalachia their focus is always on just how poverty stricken Appalachia is and they focus on all the just the most outrageous extremes of the culture and everything which is ridiculous because if you think about it every single culture no matter where you live has extremes boy I could tell you some about Philly <laughs> and I could tell you some about New England but that's that doesn't define them there are other wonderful things about any area any culture any people you know but it always bugged me that that's what uh diane sawyer and the media always choose to focus on you see if you go from living in a nice tidy neat condominium where somebody comes and manicures your lawn every week you don't even have to do it you pay the the you know you pay the the condo fees or whatever and you're you live everything's paved you have a starbucks down the road no matter where you go and you go from that into the area where i grew up into appalachia it's different to you it is different but i'll tell you what it reminds me of every time yankees uh northerners city folk do a story on appalachia and they just all oh, look how 
poverty-stricken in everything they are. And, oh, look how they talk. And look at the words they're using and everything. It reminds me of, like, back in the late 1800s when the white people pitied the American Indian and looked at them as brutes, as, like, uneducated brutes. And they felt that they were doing them a favor by pitying them trying to teach them English, trying to make them do things their way. That's what it reminds me of. And it's not that it just reminds me of it. That's what it is. That's literally what it is. When Diane Sawyer gets on the TV and starts, oh, look at the poverty and all this down in Appalachia. And they send people down here, doctors and stuff like that, and send in people to teach us how to live... (laughs) the modern way and everything one thing that's interesting about that by the way I'll just kind of give you a cheat insight into this documentary we'll be watching they actually mention it a lot of the words that we use in Appalachia people say man that's a crazy talk the way they talk just so weird but most of the words that we use are actual words it's not that we're uneducated it's that people outside of Appalachia uh, their language has dumbed down and I'm not uh, meaning to insult anybody, but that is what is happening. Outward, outside Appalachia, the language has dumbed down. So people have forgotten the old speech, the old, very rich and diverse speech that once existed. Whereas people in Appalachia have been there for, have been here for so long that a lot of those words have endured. One word that comes to mind as an interpreter was when I went up to philly and i started interpreting in the hospital it amazed me the word for pomada that would always come to my mind that's the spanish word pomada the word that would come to my mind was salve so that's the way i would interpret it these doctors these medical doctors who have been through 10 years of school did not know the word salve that is astonishing to me it was astonishing to me it's not so much anymore but I had to learn a different word to interpret pomada into so that these people could understand, these doctors could understand what I was talking about. Do you know what salve is? Salve is ointment. So I, that's the word I went to using. So when I'd hear pomada, I'd have to remind myself, don't say salve because nobody here knows what salve is. And I'd have to start using pomada. Oh, sorry. I'd have to start using ointment instead. But that's what it is. But in uh, Appalachia, we still use the word salve. Um, I'm trying to think of any other words just right up off the top of my head that I can think of. Well, ask me to make a list for you sometime. So hearing them talk about these words that are common and normal for us, but that can be confusing to outsiders, was really fun for me. (laughs) I was like, yes. I'm not the only one. You got to understand, most of the people that I grew up with never left this area. They might have left for a couple years, but then they come right back and they've been here the whole time. My story is a little different. I grew up, I left, and I was gone for 20 years before I come back. So I've had this whole broader world experience and all these, you know, these, these conflicts and stuff that my Appalachian culture has come up against and I've had to learn to, to to understand and deal with whereas a lot of my fellow Appalachian folk uh, have not had that so to hear to see this documentary and to see other people sharing these same experiences that I have experienced in life it was just a real kick for me I'd forgotten for example that when I was a kid we'd carry things in pokes so like you go to school and you would carry your lunch in a poke Do you know what that is? It's like a brown paper bag. So my mom would put my lunch in a poke and I'd carry my lunch in a poke. Don't hear that out there in the real real world. (laughs) I almost said you don't hear that out in the real world. You don't hear that out in the broader world in the US. So I've looked up some methods for hosting a watch party on YouTube through a third party service so that we can all watch this hour long documentary together synchronized with the ability to chat as we watch it. I'd like to invite you to join me to enjoy 
this documentary this upcoming Saturday March 26 at 11 a.m. New York time that's Eastern Standard Time to do this you have to be a member of our online community on locals so that you can access the link that you will need in order to uh, join us in that virtual room to watch this video together I, I think the more the merrier would be, this could be a lot of fun you'll have to forgive me if there are any technical issues because I've never done this before this is the first time I'm doing this I've never used this service that I'm planning on using I've been trying to familiarize myself with it but if you're on locals the last symptom .locals.com or again you can download the locals.com app from the app store and join us that way if you're on our group then I'll be able to give you notices if any technicalities arise that where I might still need to be able to talk to you alright my list of most important words to ruminate over regularly to have the upper hand on life this is a list that I keep. I've been keeping it. I think I told you last week I've been keeping it at least since 2014. I think I've been keeping it longer than that. But what I might have done is uh, created a brand new list and deleted the other list on my notes app on my phone. But it's, it's not a long list. I wanted to create a list of words that are so powerful for emotional health that you wouldn't need like 90 different words. 10 to 20 words should be enough to give a person time to meditate and reflect regularly wow I actually said said it pretty good that time on just these few words and live an improved life so I would like to encourage you to make your own list maybe my list will give you some ideas maybe you can uh borrow some of mine and add some of your own the first word on my list is relative slash subjective relative slash subjective when I am in any situation or in any conversation with somebody and I start to feel my emotions rise or get heated or get stirred stirred up you know that's one word I go right straight to I ask myself are we talking about something here that is relative or subjective it was such a relief for me going from a lifetime of taking comfort and finding security in black and white thinking it was such a relief for me to escape that and to realize that very few things are black and white as you know I'm a person who uh, not only believes in God but uh, my belief in God is very important to my life and there are certain principles and laws that just come along with believing in God that a person tries to guide their his or her life by that I try to guide my life by and I've not always been successful at it and I've never not always valued those laws and principles when a person fails in that way it can be kind of crushing and when it, you're talking about it, uh, somebody who comes from a family where you've been taught that your worth as a human being is not inherent is not an inherent quality that you are inherently defective and broken and bad the combination of those two things is kind of like a, a one-two double whammy punch it keeps you down keeps you down it keeps you from progressing it keeps you from being positive it keeps you from feeling like there's any point to anything because uh, no matter how hard you try for one thing you're always worthless for another thing every little mistake you make is like the confirmation of it and it's like the end of the world it's like you, you you've just ruined your relationship with God so escaping this black and white really strict type of thinking and going to this relative subjective reality which is what it is you know the subjective slash uh, relative nature of life ref is more accurately reflective of real life 
because if you're somebody who reads the Bible, how many examples are there in the Bible of servants of God who had his favor but did really knucklehead terrible things? I think of uh, King David. You know, he's somebody I really admire. Did some terrible things. But the terrible things he did were subjective and relative. What were they subjective and relative in comparison to? Well, they were subjective and relative to all the good things he had done. His heart condition, how his what his intentions were, right? So one person might kill somebody else. Everything involved with that is not the same as somebody else who might kill somebody. There are other factors that need to be considered. There are other realities that were happening at the time. There are other considerations to be taken into, you know, what the person's mindset was. What were their intentions? What was the circumstances of that? I don't want to say murder because, you know, I don't know what it, it is legally, but, you know, if somebody's breaking into my window in the middle of the night, I don't know who they are. They're coming through my window. They broke my window. My alarm's going off. They've got a gun, and I struggle with them, and I end up killing them. I don't think of that as murder in the same way that I think of murder as me you know, seeing somebody in public and then stalking them and, and killing them. That, to me, is murder. Yeah, anyway, I'm getting off topic there, but you, you, get the, you see what I'm saying. Everything is relative and subjective. I think I've told you in the past, like, animal cruelty is bad, right? Well, what about if some crocodile grabs my daughter's arm and is trying to drag her into a Florida lake? And I'm jamming it in the eye with a stick. Isn't that animal cruelty? Sure it is. So, animal cruelty is bad, in certain circumstances and in other circumstances it's not bad at all in fact it's heroic it's good it's what you must do so just escaping that black white thinking going to a relative subjective world really really nice it's really oh, taking the pressure off it reflects reality more greatly I refer back to it all the time if I'm talking to my friend Jeff about something and I, like I said I, my, I start to feel my emotions get stirred I ask myself, inside myself, are we talking about something that's relative or sub and subjective here? Well, yes, we are, because almost everything is relative and subjective. So then, it's just a matter of me applying. The next word on my list, would you like to know what that is? Context. Context. Context goes hand in hand with relative or subjective so when you realize that something is relative it's subjective the next thing is to apply context well let's apply context and see if the story the entire story don't change here that's what we did when I was telling you about the crocodile right we applied the context of this is not just me picking on a defenseless animal this is me trying to save my daughter's life now the abuse doesn't seem so terrible, does it? It's still I'm still abusing the animal. But the context changes everything. It goes hand in hand with the word relative or the word subjective. When I was uh my daughter was very young, I remember one morning we got up uh so the night before she wanted to watch lots of movies. So we watched a bunch of movies. I think she was three. It got to be 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. She had never stayed up that late before in her life. I kept saying, honey, you don't want to go to sleep? No, no, Dad. No, no, Daddy. I want to stay up and watch movies. And I could see her head like doing the, the drippy thing and uh, her eyes wanting to close and everything. But I said, well, the benefits here outweigh the cost. She, This is something that she really enjoys doing. It's time we get to spend together. I'm going to let her do it. She can sleep tomorrow as much as she wants. So can I. So the next day, she finally fell asleep. I finally fell asleep. And then the next day, she was just not being herself. She was totally out of character, getting barky at me, you know, kind of like 
kind of like a an angry cat uh, nipping at me at three and this is totally out of her character she's so sweet under well-rested circumstances where she's feeling real good never would she do anything like that but she was kind of being disobedient she was being snippy and um, at first I, I started to get angry but then I thought wait a second I know my daughter I know that this is not how she is normally let's apply some context and of course then I immediately I remembered well we were up until almost two o'clock in the morning the night before watching movies she's never done that before she's three years old or four years old I don't remember what it was she's never stayed up that late before in her life this little tiny girl this delicate little girl didn't get her sleep she got up earlier than I thought she was going to get up this morning. Of course she's going to act like this. She's a human being, and she's not just a human being. She's got more limits than normal human beings because she's a baby. <laughs> she's a child. Once I applied that context, I remember all the frustration that I felt on me, which was about up to my ears, just went... It, I just felt it like slosh out of my body just like that so from frustration and anger well the kindlings of anger it's like the kindling had been lit going from that to just feeling no anger at all and actually amusement and empathy and sympathy for my daughter like magic just from applying context it's such an important word like I said goes in hand in hand with the word relative or subjective both are the same thing you know relative and subjective but I include both because I like both next on my list is would it surprise you to know emotions slash feelings remember I told you emotions and feelings are the exact same thing there is no constructive reason whatsoever to try to as some intellectuals do try to distinguish that well emotions are this there's a little slight difference there and feelings are this and it's not constructive to do that and if it's not constructive it means it detracts from any constructive use in your life to do that so don't get pulled into the the black hole of intellectual goatee stroking emotions and feelings are the same thing but they're so important and I'll tell you why our lives are determined by them for better or worse now they shouldn't be but the world around you that's what's happening people should not determine their reality based on what they feel but the world is doing that when you are trying to escape from an emotional disorder you've lived a life of doing that yourself you're trying to escape that but as you're looking out at the world and observing world conditions and the way people are, the way people make decisions, what, you know, to understand that this intellect and critical thinking is not going to explain it. That's not what explains what you see when you look out at the world. What explains it is emotions and feelings. In an orange slice a year or so ago I explained how the cars you see being sold on the lot and the car that you are driving was not a critical thought decision that was not an intellectual decision if it were only an intellectual decision all cars would be the same color is there any practical reason why cars should be all sorts of different colors no, there's no practical reason for that. As you might have noticed, some things will sell for a much higher price simply because of the color they are. Why? To give you an example, if you go and you shop um, phone cases on Amazon, or let's say a camera or anything like that, you come across one, you say, wow, that's really nice. Oh, but look here, look here the one I was looking at is black and it's for ten dollars 
but here's one for red and the red one wait a second is twenty dollars more okay I'll take it <laughs> you see what I'm saying the commercial world has learned that they can actually charge more for the exact same product based simply on its color does that not blow what can you learn from that it blows your mind doesn't it but what can you learn from it well feelings emotions that's why it's on my list because feelings emotions are more powerful than intellect it's the whole reason why human beings are prone intensely prone to things like cognitive dissonance logical fallacies uh, confirmation bias these are not things that come from critical thinking these are things that come from what you feel I think I told you that uh, if if I had to bet you a billion dollars of somebody else's money because I don't have billion dollars obviously but if I had to bet you a billion dollars on why 90% of people vote their choice for president or you know, whatever it is in your country what it comes down to is feelings how that person makes you feel not what they're saying not their policies not any of those things that's what gives birth to cognitive dissonance um, so for example you say well that guy or girl she's just so wonderful I love her she has my best interests in mind she has everybody's best interests in mind no way is she just looking out for herself trying to enrich her own family or you know, whatever you, if this is how you feel about the candidate and then you read something in the news or you hear something that contradicts what you feel about that person if it contradicts it you will either reject it out of hand and say that's not true it's not reputable not reputable that report or you'll come up with an explanation to perfectly explain in your mind because it doesn't perfectly explain anything but you'll come up with an explanation for why this story can happen and have no effect whatsoever on how great this person is that is the cognitive dissonance thing the new information does not cause you to reevaluate how great you think the person is. You will deny it. Your emotions will say it. That information is doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. It's a lie. Or yes, maybe she did kill that alligator, but I'll bet you it was trying to drag her child into the lake, even though there's no information supporting the fact that that she was doing it for any uh, positive reasons whatsoever emotions feelings how they control us how do you keep them in check well you know we don't have control over our feelings but we do we can be honest with ourselves we can be emotionally and intellectually honest with ourselves we can recognize when our emotions are steering us in a way and we can uh, counteract that teeter-totter we can bring that sucker into balance by applying critical thought okay I really do like this guy. I really do find him very charming. I really like the things he says, how he how he says them, and everything like that. That's how I feel. But I don't want to be just a slave to how I feel. I don't want to let my feelings dictate for me reality, and override my my critical thinking. So, I know that I am a, as a human being prone to that. My feelings have that type of power over me if I don't keep it in check let's now put it in a check let's let's try to distance ourselves from how we feel apply a critical thinking analysis and those sorts of things and bring that teeter-totter more into balance can you do that can you do that I can't do it all the time uh, I can do it 90% of the time but the secret really is in how how honest are you Right, there's some things that we have such an emotional attachment to that to betray or to contradict or to even uh, take a step in a direction where we want to, to challenge it is testing it's really testing but what type of person are you what is the quality of your character 
the quality of your character will be determined by your willingness to do that just to make sure that you're not being controlled by your feelings or that your feelings are making decisions for you or determining reality for you. Emotions, feelings, big one on my list. We could talk about that for another three days, but I'm looking at the clock and we're running out of time. Time. Time is on my list. Here's my note for time. <clears throat> it's going to go by. It's going to pass no matter what. So whatever you're going to do, do it. Get started now. Because like drops in a bucket, after just a few months, an accumulation happens quickly. Especially if your mind is not obsessing about quick results. It reminds me of the expression we have a, a watched pot never boils. So if you're sitting and you're trying to boil a pot of water and you're just watching it, it seems like it never boils. But if you step away, vacuum the carpet or something like that and then come back to it, oh, there it's, it's boiling. It's even boiling over. It happens fast. So you can either be looking with satisfaction on all the progress that has accumulated in a couple years. You see what I'm saying? Like in a couple years, you can be looking back and wow, look at all of the accumulation of this progress that I've made in just two years. Or in two years, you can still be dilly-dallying and um, putting off, putting off what you could be doing. Standing in place, sunk in feelings of being overwhelmed and fretting about all the enormity of this thing before you. Enormous things happen in drops. Drop, 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 like a leaking faucet. Put a bucket underneath there. You have to empty it pretty soon, don't you? Well, that is like any major thing you want to accomplish in life. Get started now. The time is going to pass. It, do, it The time is not going to stop. It's not going to pause. It's always flowing forward. So might as well get, get to it. Well, let's see here. Uh, modesty. We've talked about modesty a lot. Modesty, if you'll remember, is recognizing your true limits and being content to work within those limits. Somebody within the Last Symptom community at thelastsymptom.locals.com. I know it seems like I'm pushing it real hard, but we want you there. Um, some uh, One of our members in the last symptom local, locals community posted on this top this very topic this week and it was so well written and it was so reflective and so good you're missing out join us at locals look up her post on uh, modesty and how she is applying it in her life in very constructive and practical ways it's so powerful that quality next word on my list is responsibility responsibility wish I had more time to talk about that we don't hate is the next word on my list dignity is the next word on my list what can I tell you about dignity can somebody else take away my dignity no nobody else can against my will take away my dignity human dignity is an inherent aspect of being a human being uh, just like we have worth, uh, dignity is a, a natural, inherent aspect of being a human being. But people can assault it. People can assault our dignity. Dignity involves the way we view ourselves and, by extension, the sorts of treatment that we view as acceptable in the way others treat us or deal with us. Every society, and I know this because the members of my community have a plethora of different backgrounds and cultures. And by the way, I've been wanting a, a natural use for the word plethora since like the late 90s when I saw the movie Three Amigos. And I swear to you, <laughs> this is the first time in my life that plethora just rolled out of my mouth completely naturally not forced at all but there you go my community has a 
the members in my community have a plethora of backgrounds and cultures and circumstances that they're dealing with. So every society has its share of the poor, the defenseless, and the vulnerable. But simply being in these types of circumstances do not diminish a person's dignity. Remember, it's an inherent quality. What constitutes an affront on our dignity? It's the attitudes and reactions of other people that can constitute an affront to our dignity. But here's the most important point. Our overlooking, permitting, tolerating such affronts as acceptable or as not a big deal is a direct reflection on whether our own sense of dignity, our own sense of inherent worth is healthy or not. That applies to past abuses too. When you were a kid, you were ignorant. You know, you couldn't have done anything about it even if you'd wanted. And most of us as children did not have the capacity to even process those sorts of things. But when you look back at past abuses that were done to you when you were a child, when you were an innocent child, the attitudes and the treatment that you endured, how do you view it? As something that's, well, that's in the past. I'm just going to let it go. Well, that's a direct reflection on your sense of dignity now. Now, I would never, ever, ever allow anybody to talk to, to manhandle, or to abuse my daughter today in the ways that I was treated in the past by my own parents if I would not allow that for my daughter how can I allow that for myself and say that I value my dignity something to think about something for you to think about next on my list uh, love propaganda patience endurance shame these I don't have time to you know really give you the thick rundown of each of these words and what they mean for me or why they're on my list I hope you're taking a note of them so that you can think about them later you know maybe that's an exercise for you why did Barnett put this on his list why for example is patience such an important word what what how is that giving him an upper hand in life next word on my list is should here's why should should have shouldn't have should in general is on my list because it's the most worthless word in the English language it's the most worthless combination of words that has ever been created try to erase it from your vocabulary as much as possible there's no such thing as you should have known something in the past you didn't you didn't know so should get you nowhere there's nothing constructive about it you could have known but you didn't the best you can do is fix it now know it now investigate it now but as far as should looking into the past I should have I should have well, what what's that gonna do for you it's gonna do nothing for you it's completely worthless so as much as possible I tried to eliminate that out of my vocabulary and I try to replace it with could like you know when I think back to uh, my ex-wife Diana boy I shouldn't have said that mean thing to her okay but you did <laughs> it's much more constructive and useful to say you could have said you you could have avoided saying that to her if you had known what you know now you could have avoided being verbally abusive to her if you had done such and such work you see how that's constructive could is constructive could have could it have these are constructive should it's not constructive at all 
because if I could have, you know, in my brain, that's almost immediately followed up by if. Then you get context. Then you are allowed to forgive yourself for things you didn't know or circumstances that you were dealing with that you're not dealing with now or that would be a stress on any human being that was uh, not directly as a, you know, a result of, well, let's say it was directly as a result of abuse that you dealt with as a child that you had not identified yet. So should, should, shouldn't have, uh, worthless, totally worthless. That's why that's on my list. Capacity versus ability is on my list. Forgiveness versus acceptance is on my list. Meekness. Meekness. Why is meekness on my list? Meekness is another word kind of like modesty. Meekness means that you're teachable. That's why it's on my list. Meekness means that you're teachable and you're willing to view hardships, discipline, and consequences as tools for improving your character as a human being. So you view hardships, if you're a meek person, you're able to view hardships as serving a legitimate, even positive purpose. In that, even though it's not pleasant, and even though you might be miserable at the time, you know that there will be positive benefits from it. You'll be a better person coming out of it. I think about the folks who endured, even, you know, stayed happy uh, in the concentration camps, in the, in the Nazi concentration camps. I mean, there was a lot of depression and a lot of you know, suicide and stuff like that in the concentration camps. But there were also people who maintained a positive spirit. And what happened? What, what did all those hardships do for them? Well, would they come out of it? Think of the inner strength that they now had that they could pass on to other people. And I, I don't want to be misunderstood by saying that the Holocaust was anything good. It, I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that any hardship that a meek person goes through can actually create a better person. It can create a better person because they come out, they've survived it, they've endured it. Now think about the benefit that that person is now to society. And um, so I'm thinking about like my own hardships that I've dealt with in life. At the time, totally miserable, hated it, didn't want it, didn't like it, cried all the time. Sometimes felt like I was on the verge of a nervous breakdown, but I endured it. I survived it. I come out. You think that if I have to endure that in the future again, that I'm not better equipped for it? Sure I am. Not only that, but I'm, I'm living a better life right now than I was before I went into those hardships. Another benefit of it is that I don't take the things that I have for granted anymore. I had ice cream tonight. I had ice cream and a couple shots of uh, whiskey and a steak for supper. I don't take that for granted. To me... That's like living like a king. So happy to have those things. Don't take it for granted. I also don't assume that I will always have those things. But I appreciate them while I do have them. So those are the sorts of things I'm talking about. You know, uh, being meek naturally also involves living with patience, endurance, mildness of temper, without haughtiness or vanity. So the it's the sort of mental attitude that makes it possible to endure injury with patience and without irritation, resentment, or vindictiveness. Okay, we'll just uh, wrap up the last couple words here on my list again real quick. Next word on my list is courage. Courage, which is not the same thing as uh, bravery. And uh, the final word on my list is compassion. So there you go. That is my list of most important words to ruminate over regularly to have the upper hand on life. Uh, maybe in a future show we can flush out some of the other ones. If you'd like me to, if you'd like my personal thoughts about some of these words on my list that we did not go into detail about, 
asked me about them on our online community there on locals the last .com. I had a, a story I was going to tell a campfire story and I had a poem but we're over time I'm not going to get to it we'll talk about it next week folks you take care of yourselves have a wonderful weekend I hope to see you to, uh, for the documentary this Saturday 11 o'clock Eastern Standard Time put it on your calendar meet us Saturday morning at 11 o'clock to watch this uh, this documentary together I'm looking forward to it and I think we'll have a good old time this is Brian Barnett signing off be good to yourselves mm-hmm.